Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. You know, this is a stressful time for leaders in all organizations. The economy is challenging. We're changing how we work. Technology is disrupting everything. And on top of that, and maybe this is the worst part, there are the usual day-to-day struggles that go with working in an organization and dealing with people. So it's not surprising that it's all very difficult and some leaders are burning out. So is there a way to deal with this? Well, my guests today think that making some subtle shifts to how leadership is practiced can make a big difference. Their names are Lisa Earl McLeod and Elizabeth Letardo, and they're the authors of a book called Selling with Noble Purpose. Now, I saw a piece that they wrote for the Harvard Business Review on leadership, and I thought it was really interesting because it was about leadership and how it can be purpose-driven, but not in a way that will result in leaders burning out. So they have some really practical suggestions on how this can be done and why it will ultimately be a good thing for all parties involved. It was a great conversation. Please stay with us to hear it. Lead with Purpose Without Burning Out. To talk about that, I'm joined by Lisa Earl McLeod and Elizabeth Letardo. They're authors of the book Selling with Noble Purpose. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Linda. It's a pleasure. It's such an interesting topic. Um, I just mentioned your book, but I'd like to hear from both of you kind of who you are and how you ended up doing this kind of research. I'll start with you, Elizabeth. So I am Lisa's co-author of Selling with Noble Purpose. I've worked on Lisa's team for about seven years. We consult with all types of organizations, from the tech space to the contracting space to healthcare. And what we've seen and what led us to create this piece on how to be a purpose-driven leader without burning out is these well-intended managers are showing up trying to do their best, but in the name of servant leadership, they're just exhausted. And Lisa, your background? So I've been in, I'm obviously the older one of this pair. Um, I've been in this space for a long time and where I landed on this topic that we now call noble purpose, it actually started about 15 years ago. And it was doing some research where I was able to figure out that the hidden underneath driver of top performance was people who had a purpose bigger than money. Now, a lot of people talk about that now, But one of the ways that people get mixed up in leadership and one of the things that that prompted us to write this piece was people want to be leaders, want to be kind, compassionate, empathetic, focus on their employees' growth and do all those things that they're getting evaluated on, but it's exhausting. And so what happened was we were in a dynamic where, you know, in my day, leadership was when I say jump, you say how high, my boots on your neck. And then we shifted to this model of servant leadership and it sounded good in theory and it's better than being a jerk. But the problem was all the employees mistakenly thought the manager's job was to make them happy. And that's like, if you've ever, I'm a parent, if your children think your job is to make them happy, (laughs) you're raising some brats. Yeah, it's not going to happen. And it's the wrong true north. Now, you care about their happiness, but what we've come to recognize is top performance is a shared responsibility towards a bigger purpose. And the purpose isn't just money. The purpose is 
in whatever your organization's purpose is, how you improve life for customers. That's what gets engagement and gets out of this. I'm the boss. No, you serve me. That's that doesn't work for anybody. Okay, there's a lot to unpick there. I'm going to go back to the idea of servant leadership. Elizabeth, you want to define that? Because I got to say, a lot of workers would say, my boss does not act like a servant. And they're probably right. So servant leadership was first introduced into the common workplace lexicon about 50 years ago by a guy named, I believe, Robert Greenleaf. And it is a complex topic and it is robust, but it gets shortened in the workplace to my manager serves me and a manager is in the role to serve. Now, Robert Greenleaf knew it was more complex than that, but the more complex part never really carried over. And so what we're seeing now is when a manager believes my purpose as a manager is purely to serve you, my team, and the team believes the purpose of the manager is to serve them, there's a conflict. There's a rub around because if employees are unhappy, it's the manager's fault. If the manager is stretched too thin, which is what we're often seeing now with people having so many direct reports, then they're not serving enough. And we get this conflict instead of uniting towards collectively employees and managers all the way up to the executive level towards this shared purpose. So when we shift the frame from who serves who to we're all playing an important part in this noble purpose, that's when the innovation happens and that's when the conversation changes. How prevalent is burnout right now compared to, I mean, if you have an idea, and Lisa, you said you've been doing this a long time, compared to five years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago? It's much worse, but it's not based on hours worked. It's based on emotions. So what's shifted is like anybody that's working 15 hours a day is going to burn out. I don't care if you're digging a ditch or, you know, putting a space shuttle in, you know, to orbit. But what's happening now because there is an increased expectation around emotional engagement and there's more transparency at work, which is great. Everybody's not all armored up. People are talking about their emotions and things like that. But what's happening is managers are facing emotional burnout. Now, they're also working too many hours, but it's at a level that it's never been before. And that's due to increased transparency about emotions, which is great. But it's also due to everyone in the workplace thinking that their boss is responsible for their emotions and they're not. And thinking my boss is responsible for my happiness. Your boss is not responsible for your happiness. So I'll give you an example that we gave in the Harvard Business Review article. Imagine if I've got an employee who's working on a project and I adopt this model. Again, servant leadership is better than a boot on your neck because it actually brought up the idea that the, that the manager has a, a moral responsibility to the employee. But imagine if I ask my employee who's got this big project, how can I help you? I'm going to walk away with a punch list from that conversation. And they're going to go, well, you could do this, you could do this. But flip it and say, what do you need from me to be successful? I have just shifted the responsibility to you. Not... I'm here to serve. I'll do anything. But what do you need to be successful? And how can I help you with that? So the idea is we're talking more about a team. Yeah. And it's not egalitarian. The boss is the boss. I mean, let's be honest here. The person's doing your performance review. This is not an egalitarian thing. But what's often absent in the workplace when it's 
Are you in charge? I serve you. No, you serve me. What's absent is neither of those are our true north. Our true north is how is this project going to make life better for customers? Or how is this project going to change the way we do technology? And when we're together on that, everything changes. And I'll give you an example. If anybody's ever been in a contentious uh, relationship with their spouse, and all of a sudden one of the kids has a problem, it has to be really bad before we don't come together. Because it's clear, this is the purpose. Now, hopefully the workplace is not quite that dramatic, but this who serves who is the wrong conversation. The right conversation is what's the actual true north here and it's neither of us. Well, purpose is something that's talked about a whole lot these days, right? Every organization wants to be purpose-driven. I'll ask you this, Elizabeth. Do you think that companies, organizations have done a good enough job communicating what their purpose is or do they really even know in a lot of cases? That's a big question. And I'm sure there's a huge spectrum. But what springs to the front of my mind is some interesting research EY did on this topic. And they released a paper called, Is Your Purpose Lectured or Lived? And I thought that was such compelling language because all of us have seen the lectured version of purpose now, an organization proclaiming we have this noble purpose. Here it is on our website. Look at us. We're going to put it in all of our marketing copy. And the employee experience and the customer experience doesn't really ring true to that purpose. So what the EY research found was that at a senior level, a CEO and C-suite level, most executives had great confidence that their organizational purpose was understood and lived, that people used it to make decisions. It was the North Star of innovation, et cetera. As you go down the hierarchy, we see a steep drop-off in how useful that purpose actually is on a daily basis. When we get to middle management, the number falls below 50%. So I think as organizations are correctly leaning into purpose, are recognizing the economic benefit, are seeing what it can do when leveraged effectively to employee engagement and employee retention, all that stuff is great, but a lot of organizations aren't getting those benefits because they slap some nice words on their website and and think that that's purpose-driven. And yeah, that's what seems to be the case in so many organizations right now. Where do you start with this, though? If you want to, to remedy this and you're sincere that you have a purpose, you know, what are the steps you take? So the first thing you do is you get specific. We always say we have a chapter in our book that says specificity is sexy. So you don't have to wait. If you're the CEO, yeah, you need a purpose. If you're a mid-level manager, don't wait. (laughs) Do not wait for your company to adopt a purpose statement. What you need to do is have absolute clarity about how your work makes a difference. Is the thing that we sell make people's lives better? Is the reports that we do makes our fellow employees you know, able to go. We have one company that what they said was they let people go home at night at five, not worrying because they did all the back end. So you have to have clarity of purpose first. Then the second thing you do, and we talked about this in the HBR article, is you as a leader start shifting your language instead of you do this for me or how can I serve you? You shift your language so that you're saying, how are you going to make this impact. It's it's the difference between focusing on just us versus having an impact. And so I'll give you a super concrete example. 
One of our clients is Hilton. And like a hundred years ago, Conrad Hilton said, our purpose is to fill the earth with the light and warmth of hospitality. Oh, it's aspirational. It's beautiful. But what we need to do is take that all the way down. So we're the, the food staff at uh, Hilton in Vietnam. How are we filling our customers with the light and warmth of hospitality? How are we going to look at our check-in? How are we going to act? And that brings a team together, but it's in the service of something bigger than themselves. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but I'm also thinking about publicly traded companies that have to serve their shareholders. Oh, yeah. Small businesses that have to, you know, stay profitable in really difficult circumstances. Make so, payroll. Yeah, payroll. And so, you know, it's a conflict, it seems, between serving the people you are bringing into the hotel or whatever, and also watching your costs. How does how do the two go together? We know money, revenue, and profitability is a lagging indicator. It comes after delivering a great customer experience, and the customer experience comes after delivering an at least good employee experience. So I think a lot of organizations get a little tripped up when they know that lagging indicator needs to change. We don't have enough money. Our costs are too high. Our revenue targets aren't going to make it this quarter. And they put all of their energy into that instead of recognizing that all these things upstream are what contribute to that financial result. And we have the research to back it up done by, you know, countless of organizations. I know you had a a leader from Accenture on here not long ago. They're one of the leader research in the space. We have the research to tell us that purpose drives financial performance. It drives it on an individual level. There's some excellent research from Michigan State University that came out last year about that. Drives it on an organizational level. That's been documented starting with Jim Stingle and Grow in the early 2000s all the way up to now. We know purpose drives performance, but when we focus on those lagging indicators, we don't get there. It's like telling a runner, run faster, run faster, run faster, run faster. You got to focus on their strength, their conditioning, what their form is like, all of those things that impact that lagging result. So we measure the time, the time matters. You got to run fast to win the race, but we know that shouting run faster isn't going to get you there. All right, let's talk about how to support leaders in all this, because that's what we're talking about, making sure they don't burn out, which doesn't help anybody. Is it a lack of training? Is it a lack of the right uh, directives? What Mm -hmm. would turn this around? There's three things that are missing. Lack of clarity of purpose. A lot of senior leaders are focused, as Elizabeth said, on those lagging indicators. And the message mid-level managers get is, you are a cog in a machine whose job is to make money for shareholders, of which you may or may not be one. So the first thing we need to do is change the language. We are here to make a difference to our customers. It's not just a feel good, we're all gonna love each other. So first off is clarity of purpose. The second thing is training. That's what we do a lot of our work on is training leaders to shift the way they manage, the way they lead. And people don't need tons of training on this. All the training around being compassionate, being kind, being this, being this, goes out the window when the boot is on their neck to deliver the numbers. So that's why I say there's three things. There's first, the clarity of purpose. The second is training of leaders. And the third is involving the employees. Because- You need to train the employees? Yeah, because that's 
when when we, if the three of us are on one team and we know that our job is to fill the earth with the light more of the past totality, or another uh, client of ours is reimagining the uh, contracting business, they're in concrete. Uh, if we know that's our purpose and it's shared, then each of us in our own job needs to figure out how we contribute to that. Because one of the reasons why managers are so burnt out is the endless questions and demands from employees. But when an employee has clarity of purpose, it shifts the decision-making lens to them because they know where we're going. And this is a little bit different than mission, vision, and all of that. This is about how does the work we do make a difference to someone besides us? That's that's the it it seems nuanced, but it's like the difference between saying, we're gonna be a great school, or we're gonna have the highest test scores lagging indicator versus our school is going to shape future leaders. You know, it's gotten that much more difficult the last couple of years because some of this is being done through remote work, some of it's being done through hybrid work. Is it more difficult? Is it uh, is mentoring slipping by the wayside because of this? I'll ask you, Elizabeth. So I will preface my answer by saying I am a remote work fan. I think this is in many cases for knowledge work. This is the way the world is going to stay. So we need to deal with it. The answer to managers are burned out is not make everyone suffer through 10 hours of commuting a week. That is not going to fix the problem. What I will say is that you have to be more intentional when it comes to purpose leadership in a remote environment, because so often when we're working remotely, our impact this thing we do on a daily basis gets cluttered up with a lot of emails and email overwhelm and inbox zero is never achievable or our impact gets passed to this person who passes it to their manager, who passes it to another department. And eventually how we're making a difference escapes our field of vision because we're sitting here with our laptop in our home office. So I do think it is more challenging to be a purpose-driven leader or purpose-driven employee in a remote or hybrid environment. Is it impossible? Absolutely not. And it's something that we're going to have to learn how to do. We are, but you know, we are early in this process. Almost no one was trained to lead this way, right? Right. So I see a lot of learning on the job happening. Lisa, did you want to add to that? Well, the thing that employers of every level, from the CEO to the frontline manager, need to understand we have had a fundamental shift that is like no other time in my lifetime. The only thing I would compare it to is World War II. And why do I say that? Because if you've ever been through a personal thing, an illness, a divorce, a death of a parent, you reassess, you think about what, who am I? Why am I here? What does my life mean? We did that collectively. And why I say World War II, World War II, we got bombed. People, our, our childhood friends died. Like it, it happened to, to us all at once. I'm not that old, but I, you know, read And so what you need to understand is this wishing to go back to the way things were. That's like someone at the end of World War II going, wow, I wish all these women hadn't realized that they were smart and could work in a factory. Like it's not happening. You can't unknow it. But what we talked about in the HBR piece is there really there are three things that leaders can do. Once you have clarity of purpose, there's three places that you can put it. Number one, employee interactions. 
identify how that employee's work makes a difference to someone and start using the, we know we're trying to do X. How can we shift towards that? The second is use it as a lens for decision-making instead of trying to do everything. What is going to have the biggest impact on achieving our purpose? And the third place is use it in coaching. A lot of the behavior that leaders are frustrated with is employees not thinking things through towards the greater impact. So instead of saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, start asking, how do you think this is going to impact your peers? Because we're trying to create people that will think on their own because they're at home with their laptop. I will end by asking each of you what advice you would give to leaders, not necessarily the organization, but somebody who is getting burned out trying to deal with this. If there's one thing that they could do that's practical, what would it be? I'll start with you, Elizabeth. I would say ask one more question before you give coaching. One thing we talk about through all three of those elements Lisa just shared, and one thing we go in depth on in that HBR piece is the importance of asking questions. Ask questions of your employees before you jump to let me help you. What can I do? You know, I guess what can I do is a question. Before you jump into giving advice, ask, how do you think you could solve that? What kind of resources do you think you might need? Really get those wheels turning because you're trying to build a team that can lead and produce and deliver results exceptionally well without you micromanaging. And they're not going to get there if you keep serving up to go back to our term servant leadership, the answer every time. Interesting. And Lisa, what would you say? Instead of looking down at your team, look out and answer one single question. How does what we do make a difference? How does our work impact, ideally, the ultimate customer, the people that buy from our company? How do we make their life easier? How do we make things better for them? And use that as your true north. So instead of asking 25 things, am I doing well? Ask this one thing, because we've all seen examples. Watch any of the movies about NASA, who has some of the most highly engaged employees anywhere. Watch movies and talk to people that were in early startups. It's not work that kills our spirit. It's meaningless work. Interesting place to leave it. Thank you so much for this discussion. Really uh, timely, I think. Thanks. Thanks, Linda. Lisa Earl McLeod and Elizabeth Letardo are the authors of the book Selling with Noble Purpose. Well, that's it for today. If you'd like to hear more about this subject and about Lisa and Elizabeth, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to connect with me, I'm on social media. And in particular, I'm on X, which used to be Twitter. Now, if you did like this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. It will really help people to find us and it will help us to continue these discussions. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at the workandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future podcast with Linda Nazareth is a relentless economics production. 